Big Ten Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why in how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for lending me those ears. And if you're watching this on YouTube or any other media, I appreciate your eyeballs. Today, I have a gentleman by the name of Rob Ashton. Now, this gentleman came across my virtual desk, and his topic... Uh, as it relates to sale, might be interesting. So I thought, I said, let's have him on the podcast. Let's see where this goes, because I think this is going to be a very interesting one. Rob, welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast. Hey, Victor. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Rob, why don't you give them your one-minute commercial of who you are? Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. I know you're from from the other side of the pond. You tend to be a little more reserved, but let it go a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you picked up on that, did you? Um, yeah, I... Um so I've been involved in the field of optimizing written communication for you know, probably longer than I care to admit, but I set up a, a company called Emphasis uh, in 1998, uh, which uh, went on to become one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, written communications consultancies, training consultancies in, in the world. Um, and uh, since then has trained over 80,000 people from companies, for, you know, tech Tech giants of Silicon Valley right through to even the royal household at Buckingham Palace. Um, and that company is still, is still very much alive and kicking and doing great work. Um, but um, I, I stepped down recently as CEO from that company to focus full time on, on writing. Uh, and I write about writing. So uh, six years ago, I, I started researching the, the science behind what makes words work? What makes written words work? Um, and that's just taken over my life. So now I spend all my time researching that, um, writing about it, and really just trying to spread the word so that people become more aware of the, of the hidden impact of the words we read on, on what we think and what we do. And of course, on what decisions we make, which makes it particularly relevant to, um, to sales success. It's, it's almost like we take, you know, now when I was reading your bio and I re- reviewed your website, uh, I realized I, I'd taken a lot for granted already in terms of writing. Uh, but before we go, go in, in the detail, I, I talk to me a little bit about the company Emphasis and what was like the, the why for founding the company? What was the big need in the market that you saw? I'll be honest, I went about it all the wrong way. So uh, I, I, I should not have started Emphasis. <laughs> it might seem like a startling admission. Um, but I was working as an editor uh, and had done that for, for many years. I'd certainly got my 10,000 hours. Um, I was working initially on technical journals and then in consumer magazines. And I found I was doing the same thing over and over again. So I was, I was applying techniques that any good copy editor should know. Not, not all of them do, but you know, I was that they were not revolutionary. And I was taking what people had written and making it much clearer, but much more impactful. Um, and I, I found that it was, it was almost like a reflex. I didn't need to think about it. And um, I thought, well, I, I always had an entrepreneurial bent. I, I think, you know, one of the publishers I worked for was, um, was, uh, it was, it was formed by, by a couple of entrepreneurs. And I kind of, I think that just gave me the bug. Uh, and those two things came together. I thought, well, you know, what? I'm going to get out there. I'm going to share these trade secrets uh, with the world beyond publishing uh, and enable people to to write 
more effectively and to, to connect with the people they're trying to they're trying to reach. The reason I say it was a mistake is because most people didn't know they needed help with that. So I was I was a solution in search of a problem back then. Uh, and in fact, even you know, back then, people were even talking about people not writing anymore, and that you know this was going to be dying out, and we would just all be speaking to each other. <laughs> Seems laughable now when you think how reliant we've become on it. Um, but um, yeah, so it was it, it it took off slowly to begin with. It was it was a slow start, and then uh, and then we got a big government contract, and uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. And uh, and now it's. You know, it's still. I'm, I'm so proud of that organisation. It's it's working around the globe, um, and it, you know, de- even did uh, it even did pretty well in in 2020 um, after the initial shock of the pandemic, and people realised that actually we could still talk to each other without being in the room together. Um, so after the first month or so, it, it really started to pick up again, and it's it's doing extremely well. Um, but the range of organisations that Emphasis works with is is enormous. You know, I've, I've mentioned a couple in the intro, but I mean, you know, a huge number of the world's world's largest law firms, for example, that all of the big four consulting firms. Um, tech, I mean, you name it, Emphasis does it. Um, work. Give me, just, give me just, if I if I if I may ask, give me an example. So I can wrap my brain around what is it that emphasis does. Like, give me like, like a, a mini case study of like, look, Victor, here's the before, here's the after, after they've been emphasized. Well, uh, uh, let's, um, let's take a sales example, okay, which is really um, an end-to-end example. Because if you think about it, you might get your sales lead come in and you respond to it typically uh, – well, it would probably come in as a written lead these days. So, you know, somebody might have filled in an inquiry form. And then you make it and pick up the phone, um, but but it's quite common now to respond in writing. So you'll send someone a customer, you send someone an email, and then you're trying to get somebody on the phone. You're trying to turn that into an appointment. So right there, straight away, you've got written communication. Um, let's see you then. Let's say you then have a meeting with the prospect, and uh, and that's probably taken a bit of back and forth anyway. And they say, that's great, um, but I've got a decision chain here and I need to get a decision on this. Can you write me a proposal? So you then go away and you you sweat over this document on which everything is going to hinge now because you're not going to be able to speak to the decision makers uh, or rather you might have spoken to one decision maker um, or it could just be an internal influencer. And so you need to turn that document into a silent sales professional if you like you know you need to write something that's going to be doing your job for you and you're not because you're not going to be there so this person they're either making that you know they could be making a decision themselves and we come back to that um but more likely they're going to be taking that to someone and they're going to be saying this this company sounds great you know i or they might not even do it you know they might not even be that complimentary they might just say i need a decision on this and somehow you've got to take somebody through the sales thought uh, and sales decision process purely with your words okay so so that happens um and then you you then have to a, a follow up, but I mean the, the other scenario is it might be you might actually be writing to the decision maker, and even even in that case, it can go terribly wrong because 
what people often do is they build a really good relationship in person or on the phone or, or in a, in a, a Zoom or Teams call. Um, and someone says, write me a proposal. And that might, you know, that might take a few, it might be a few weeks before that lands. And um, what lands in the inbox or, or um, not usually on the desk of somebody now, but what they get, it often bears no relation to uh, the, the style often bears no relation to that that person that, that they built a relationship with. Okay, people go into this kind of automaton robot mode, um, <laughs> and and they and you forget that you've actually got to warm the prospect up again, and you've got to take them through the process all over again. So it can fall it can fall foul then, um, and then you've got to close the deal. So you've got to chase it, uh, and then you are using email. Um, and then even even beyond that, where, when the sale is made and um, you're trying to execute on it, uh, you might, depending on if you're in a small company, you might be responsible for, for customer care then, um, or you might have a customer care team um, and you're communicating with them internally, maybe on Slack or Teams messaging or whatever. Um, and then that customer care team are probably going to be communicating with the customer Again, with the written word, uh, you know, it's very rare these days that we actually get to speak to people, you know, from from waking up in the morning and checking your email through to switching your phone off at night is pretty much written communication all the way. And so what Emphasis does is optimize all of that with all of those different types of, of professional and in all of those different situations, as well as things like handling complaints. Um, it, it, when I mentioned law firms. There you have internal knowledge management, and that happens with the big consulting firms as well. And with, and we, you know, think about engineering companies. Um, engineers typically don't go into into that profession because they love to write, and yet they have to communicate their knowledge. They have to capture their knowledge, and then even you know, it could be could be something as uh, you know as as running an entire oil refinery. You know, you've got standard operating procedures. Again, it's all the written word, and it's. It's it's usually the weakest link. So so we're the we're the company, or emphasis is the company that strengthens that link. You know, there there, there seems to be just in listening to you, there there seems to be no endless. Uh, it's just endless, right? In terms of where you can apply, you know, uh, the writing skills. The I think it's really interesting. I mean, there's so many things. I wrote down a bunch of notes as you as you were talking, as you were saying so many good things. Uh, let me see. Where do I begin? Because. Uh, I love the fact that you gave a sales example. I appreciate that for this podcast. So thank you very much. The I, I want to start out with this question to you because uh, you kind of mentioned it already. Is you know, in, you know, when we talk about language and how we speak, you know, in sales we always talk about your language dictates who you have access to or who you're relegated to. You know, speak to me a little bit about that. How your language, if you want to talk to, if you're let's say an average salesperson, but you want to get a meeting with a director, a, C, uh, a president, or a CXO. You know, what have you seen in language that would help me more likely get that meeting if I can just adjust my language? There is, you know, if I said there, there was a silver bullet, I'd be, I'd be lying um, because it's, it, it's all nuance. You know, it's not, this is not something where you can say, use these words and you'll get the meeting. Um, you know, there are examples where, where, you know, where people have tried to do that, um, but they, they, the novelty of those uh, wears off pretty quickly once once people start using them, you know. Uh, um, so what you need to remember, so the, the best thing that the most 
the, the advice with the longest shelf life really is to say, look, remember the principles that underlie that effective written communication. Okay, so this is what you need to, to remember. You need to remember that that person you are communicating with, and it stands obvious, is not you. Now, when I say they're not you, I mean, they don't have the voice in their, in their head that you have in your head. Instead, they have their own voice. So it's almost like they are listening to their own personal playlist or backing track on, on, on their, uh, on their iPhone or iPod. Um, and they, that will be influencing how they read your message. Now, your playlist will be influencing how you write your message. Uh, and that's where it all goes wrong, that the mismatch of those two things. You need to find a way to try to tune in to what that other person is listening to. So it's it's very easy, for instance, just to launch into your your pitch. And usually, usually that doesn't work. Um, you know, I would focus, first of all, on trying to build a relationship or just try, you know, use if it's not if it's a large organization, kind of triangulating your way up to to a decision maker rather than, you know, that CEO. It's you know, there are there are lots lots of ways of doing it, but it's a, it's a subtle process. Um, what you also you need know, to remember. I, I was going to ask you if I, if I may, because I, I really want to just get to something, because you're saying something very important. I, I love the fact that you're talking about the different playlists we both have in our heads, and we have to listen or synchronize or, I guess, get in sync with the other person. Like, what are some of the common mistakes? Not looking for silver bullets, but like, you know, some of the common mistakes that people make that you go, you know, don't do that. You know, you shouldn't do that. That's not going to help. Well, we all know that desperation kills a deal, right? Right. You know, uh, and if you are facing the end, if you're if you're looking at your uh, at your target, and you know you're getting to the end of your sales period, um, you know it's a really common one is to let that influence your communication. So you that you, that that is when your playlist is you know you're turning up the volume dial on that then, mm. um, where, in that situation. And that then will come out in your writing um, and it will damp down how in tune you are with the other person's needs. So, you know, in that situation, what I would do is I would try, I would, I'd, you know, switch off my phone or, you know, shut down my laptop and get old school, go old school, get a piece of paper and mm -hmm. a pen or pencil and write down, the, you know, the name of this person what they need, but crucially, what they want and what they're interested in. You know, this is it's sales 101, but, and yet it goes, it goes out of the window when we are writing to people. So you forget that, you know, you start focusing on your needs. So you think, but what do they, what do they want? Not, to, not what do they need? Because we know that people buy what they want, not what they need. Right. And you, so you need to make them want what they need, you know? So you think, okay, why do you think we forget, Rob? Why do you think we forget that it's, it's that simple? Do you know, it's a great question. You know, why do, we, why do we take those basic, you know, those core sales skills mm -hmm. and, and forget them when we're writing? That, that is a, that's a critical question to answer because it, you know, it's a lot of this stuff, you, know, you could make things a lot better if you just remember those things. Um, it's because writing is hard and reading is hard, much harder than we realize. Uh, we didn't evolve 
to read and write. We evolved to speak and listen. Now that is that there are even neuroscientists who who don't realize the significance of that. We've the the, the, the human race has been has been writing for no longer than as far as we know, as far as we have evidence, no longer than five thousand years. Okay, the earliest uh, earliest writing um, was in um, uh, was was in modern what, what is now modern day um, uh, Iraq. But but you know, but it's uh, incidentally, it was commercial writing. It, it was it was business writing. Even back then, it was about a sales transaction. Okay, but you know, most people have only been writing. You know, writing only became widespread in the last hundred two hundred years. And that that may sound like a long time, but it's just it's not even a heartbeat in evolutionary terms. It's not long enough to evolve specific apparatus to process read, reading and to and to and to, and to process writing. And in fact, when you're writing, you are wiring together. You are you are drawing on a network that joins up the eyes, the the the, the, the vocal areas of the brain. Um, but also even the auditory, the, the 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 hearing parts of the brain, and and that network we create. That's what happens when we're learning to read. When we're learning to read, we create that network, and that's why it takes so long. You know, you will learn to speak um, a language passively as long as people are around you speaking that language. You will pick it up as, as as a child, and you'll even pick up the fundamentals of grammar. You know, you'll know how to form the past tense or whatever. You just you just will. Um, but that won't happen with with writing. You could you could stare at an alphabet you're not familiar with, so maybe maybe you don't read Hebrew or Arabic. You know you could stare at that for ten years and you would be none the wiser, because it has to be an active process. And the reason that matters is because writing is way more complex and reading is way more complex than we think. So so that's number one. Number two is that um, when we're reading, we're we're using a lot of energy. And when we're writing, we're using a lot of energy um, and we're often really on the limits. If it's something quite complex, we're often on the limits of what our brains can cope with. Um, you know, it's a bit like, um, you know, there are other examples of this. So, you, you know, we, we, other things we do say, say, you know, say you're listening to the audio system in your car and you're pulling out at a busy junction and you instinctively, you know, it's just been playing in the background for the whole time. And you've just been enjoying it, but now it becomes an irritation because you you need more brain power, and so you find yourself instinctively reaching for the dial and turning it down. Um, well, that's the same with with writing. As soon as you come across anything that's quite complex, um, or in, or well, we'll come on to emotions in a second. But if it's something quite complex, then it's starting to draw on on your um, on your cognitive resources. Um, it, it but it also that can leave us. Um, to to rely more on the kind of rules of thumb, these the, what people call heuristics, um, that um, and so can make us make decisions based on you know based on biases, based on you know if something is hard to read, for instance, then we will, or if something is easy to read, we tend to believe it. If something is hard to read, then then less so, um, and and you know we fall back on those. But to answer your question, the reason we fall into the trap is because writing is hard, but also because when we are when we are writing, we're in a solitary situation, but we are creating a social transaction. You know, we're create we're, we're creating a transaction between two people, and yet we were we are on our laptop. It's just us, 
and and our laptop is in front of us it's you know it's it's connected by our fingertip by our, our hands and our fingers and when we use tools like that we we grow networks in the brain that you know they become extensions of our brain and we behave as if we are solitary as if we're on our own you know we we, we are thinking about our needs uh, and and not those of the other person so so we you know we we it's a, it's a contradiction you you you're on your own you are doing something as far as your brain is concerned for you. You're thinking, you know, we think on screen, don't we? You know, we're typing away. We think and, and, and you would never, there's no filter often. You're thinking, I've got to get this deal. I've got to, or, or, you know, I've got to make my numbers this, this month. Um, but if you were speaking to that person, there would be a whole different layer. Uh, uh, you know, it would be a completely different situation because you'd be much more attuned to their needs um, and you would, and there would be a filter, you, you know, you would, you would stop and, you know, you'd think before you said things rather than just, you know, we, we, we just, we just write things and send them. Um, and there's even evidence that, um, you've probably heard of, of the, um, uh, neuropeptide oxytocin, which is, which is central to, to forming relationships, you know, it regulates adrenaline, um, uh, it, it's, um, it, it regulates, it re regulates all sorts of processes that, are, but it's, it's central to, 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 to building a relationship. It's kind of like a, a, a social lubricant. Um, and there's evidence that that is released yeah, even in a phone call. You know, if you're speaking to somebody, you release oxytocin, but it isn't with reading and writing. So, you know, you could be, if you're, if you're in a written transaction, you're, you're not getting the benefit of, of that, of that hormone that's going to be regulating how you are reacting and, um, and, and enabling you to pick up on the cues. And of course, the cues themselves are going to be either far more subtle and not even there because it's writing and you know, we're not, right, we're, no, we're right. not, we're dealing with a, with much less information. So it's complex. Clearly yeah, it's, 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 it's lots it's, of reasons, lots of reasons. I, I love your explanation. I mean, you made me think at a, at, at a different level, but you're right. There is no feedback loop, right? Like when you're talking to somebody, you see the full body language, maybe tone vocalization. So there is some feedback that would probably, as you say, regulate how you would communicate. But when you're talking to a computer, you know, it's almost like, you know, uh, it's an inanimate object. There's no feedback. And so maybe that kicks you into an automatic mode. But you're, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle, Rob, I think, because, you know, what you do, because as we know, that, uh, I'll state the obvious, attention spans are getting shorter. People's ability to write seem to be getting weaker. And then you're telling them at the same time, no, no, writing is, writing is important. And it's how do you, you know, what do you see? I, I see a deteriorating quality of writing is what I typically see, especially because of social media, the, the short bursts, emojis, and all that stuff. But yet we also know that the written language is important in terms of communicating when you're not there. And so how, how are you fighting against that? What do you see on the battlefield? Well, it, it's... Um it can be something that only a few people get, you know, so, so you, know, you can work with um, huge organizations and then find that it's a subset of that organization. It's a small population that works on it. But more often um, you'll find that it's not every organization that does it, you know, so, you, so if you take a particular sector, you'll find that 
maybe one or two players within that sector will 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 focus on this and, and the others won't. Um, but if you are you know, if your sales antennae are, are well-tuned, you'll spot an opportunity there, which is that if most people aren't doing it, then there's a potential advantage to doing it. Uh, and, you know, we all know that to, to, to win in sales, you, you, you don't need to win by, by, you know, think of horse racing, you know, you don't need to win by 10 lengths, do you? You just need to win by a nose. You still win. Uh, and, it, and, and it's the same with, with focusing on written communication, you know, if you can just do it 10% better than everybody else, then you are going to, then, you know, you are giving yourself an advantage. Um, so it's not that you need to become this gifted writer. It's not that you need to transform, you know, dedicate your entire life to improving your written communication. You don't need to do that. You just need even becoming aware of it. You know, even if you do nothing else, you, even if you just become aware that what you're writing will have an impact and crucially that writing is not speaking, then that will give you um, a scare quotes, unfair advantage. You know, that, that will, that will give you the edge uh, and you will find that naturally you will start to, um, to, to pay more attention to, to the other person's wants and to, um, to become more mindful of um of what you're doing and the impact it has and you know i would say if you do nothing else if you're if you're dealing with something that's complex if you're dealing with something that's emotive then request a call request a meeting you know don't try to handle something that's you know you don't if you find yourself writing trying to write an email and you think well i need to say this and this and oh but i need to get that caveat in and oh, i need to mention that but you know what if they think this so i should add that bit in Alarm bells should be ringing, you know, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. soon as That's that process starts, as soon as that, pro a... <laughs> you know, just, just get out of there, you know, <laughs> just think, that is what? such a great point. <laughs> you know, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Pull you know, the rip, I, by I, the way, pull the ripcord, right, Rob, just pull the ripcord. Yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> exactly. And just delete the whole lot and say, um, you know, Hey, it'd be great. I think we probably need to have a chat about this. Let, let, you know, let's sort it out and send that email. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. use the email to request a call, and then goodness me, you will give you. You know, most people don't do that, and you will straight away um, give yourself an advantage. Um, but you'll advance the process as well. As soon as you start talking, you know, you could you, your shoulders drop, and you kind of go, "Oh yeah, I see what you mean." And it's in, as you say, it's a you know, there is a feedback loop. You, you're communicating in real time. You can course correct as you're doing that, and and you will find that. Uh, an, an email that exchange that might have taken several days as you go back and forth um, and, and, and still might get you nowhere or make things much worse uh, can be replaced by, you know, might only be a five minute phone call. It, it just still astonishes me that people don't do that. You know, you know, it's, it's, God, I, people who are going to listen to this segment are going to just nod their head going, yep, that's me. I spent all this time writing, deleting, writing, deleting, couldn't get it right. Why well, I should have just pulled the ripcord. I made the call or to get on a Zoom call. And so I think, you know, you're highlighting several fascinating things. Uh, you know, earlier you mentioned that there's a difference between reading and writing versus talking and listening. And I, until you said that, I never really, you know, separated the two and realized that, that there's, there's a different demand load, a demand cognitive load on each one, right? In other words, talking and listening is probably easier, as you say, reading and writing. And I think that's big. And... 
you know, when you when when you're telling people to look, just write it the way you would say it. I see a lot of people trying to sound very fancy. You know what I mean? Trying to sound like they're two level up, and I think that stops a lot of people from writing. And, and so, you know, as the market right now moves towards more a text driven, you know, relationships with people. You know, give me your take on that. And, you know, how could we be better at that? You've already mentioned several things like, you know, first of all, is, is the awareness piece, right? Second, you know, probably speaking in such a, such a way that it would resonate with the other person. Anything else you want to add to that? Well, when you, you know, when you say people try and take it up a, a couple of levels and to sound fancy, um, that, that, you know, the, the good news is that you need to do the opposite. So where you've got, you know, when people do that, that they're doing it from a position of low confidence normally. You know, they think they have to put on airs and graces. They think they have to make their, you know, use, use flowery language. Um, and back when I used to run training courses myself, that was a common objective that people would state. There was often some, one person in the room who, you know, when I'd said, what do you want to get out of today's course? And they'd say, I want to learn how to use longer words and to make my writing sound more impressive. Um, and it, the, what you should be doing is the opposite. Uh, so you, you should be trying to impress with your, with your knowledge and with, with the help that you give the client that, that, you know, the steer, the, the, you know, how you steer them, how you, how you advise them, how you position, position yourself as an expert by giving them help, by, by, by sharing your knowledge. Um, and, the, the the fancy words, the flowery words, you know, they get in the way. Uh, it, it, when I it, when I say improve readability to people, you know, it's it's not about stripping out the jargon, as long as it's the customer's jargon and not yours. Okay, so you need to think. Okay, so the long words I'm using, the the jargon, sorry, the technical words I'm using, are those the words the customer uses? Uh, so pick up on the words they use when they're speaking to you. Make a note of the. Of, of the technical terms and, and write in their, you know, take, take, take it to them, right, right in their world. Um, but the words in between the jargon, so don't use your jargon because that, you know, that will, you know, if they don't understand it, if they do, that's fine. You can kind of create a feeling of being a, what's called in-group bias. You know, you're, you're all in this together. Um, but strip out the words in between the jargon, you know, reduce those right down. So, Instead of saying, in spite of the fact that, you could say, despite. Instead of saying, commence, you can say, start. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, instead of, say, instead of saying, initiate, you can say, start. You're making me laugh because I, I hear people just use all these big words. You're like, why? Yeah. Why can't you? you know, by the way, I want to pause right here because I want to compliment you, by the way. And so as I was doing my research on you, uh, so you're the guy, you know, who, who looks at neuroscience and writing and tries to kind of understand what's going on, right? And then I read your blogs. I, try, I tried to go through a lot of your, your, your blog posts, and they were so well written. So if you listen to this again or watching this, go to robashton.com. Just read a few of his articles. And what, what, what impressed me was that, you know, you're that person that says, hey, I'm going to help you with writing. And then I actually go and read some of your blogs, and you did not disappoint, is what I want to say. You did not disappoint. So I want to highlight robashton.com. Check out the blogs. Great insight. And by the way, you even annotate all these studies, you know, and all the data that you actually present in there. And I was like, wow, this is really impressive. So I just wanted to compliment you on that before I forgot. 
Thank, thank you. It's, that's, that's very kind. I mean, the, the studies uh, are important because there's an awful lot of pseudoscience on the web, uh, particularly when it comes to communication. There's a lot of right. hearsay and wishful thinking. Um, so I just, you know, I, when, when I write those pieces, I, I like to, to, to emphasize that, you know, this is, this, I reference the science. Then, you know, they're not, they're not, it's not science writing, um, but it's, you know, they are backed up by science. So it's, it's advice backed up by science. Um, but, but those, those pieces take a very long time to write. Uh, and in fact, you know, for, for me, it, it's, you, you know, it, it's, if I'm going to call myself, a, you know, a, well, I'm not a writing expert, but if I, if I am, because of what I do, it, it's it obviously shines a spotlight on my writing, and so I ha I have to put even more effort into it. But for everybody, you know, it's it really is a case of hard write, easy read. You you know, it's uh, uh, even people who um, who are in, you read their stuff and you think, wow, they're amazing writers. Um, they've put a lot of effort into that. It takes effort to 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 write well, um, and that. That's always the case, unfortunately, because it's because it's a it's an entirely unnatural thing to be doing, you know. So so it's always it's always going to be like that. Um, but the um, it, you know some of the examples of the, of these these words that get in the way, you know, I, I mentioned commence and start, and um, if you if you have words that end in shun, so t i o n or s i o n, that's normally a sign that you that you can tighten up that that phrase or that sentence so if so you know if you were saying um uh you know i i appreciate your your feedback we're going to uh launch an investigation into that um now you could then say you know thank you for that feedback rather than i appreciate it doesn't really matter so much but when you've got launch an investigation um you could say we're going to investigate so, uh, I mean, it's maybe not the best example because launch an investigation sounds like much more active. But if you find, um, you know, things like, um, you know, make a connection, you know, I want to make a connection. I want to connect. Uh, you, you know, it, it's, you know, to use the word connection, you've got to, you've got to say, you know, make a, <laughs> you've got to add make a, otherwise, you know, you can't say I connection you know or i want connection you got you know you um so you know you say i want to connect is you can just strip out words so anything that ends in the shun you can normally you know i call those just magnets for flowery language you know as soon as you've got words like that in there um and you know decisions a good one actually you know you could say you know can i give you some assistance to make a decision or you could say can i help you decide you know, uh, uh, and it's straight there, you know, it's you know, something happening and it's it's much shorter, leads, you know, far fewer words, much, much less processing power. And what you're trying to do there is to free up the, the buyer's brain so that they can decide so that they can go with you so they can take in the advice you're giving and think, huh? Oh, you know that they they really know what they're talking about. That's you know, and and you, that the and the one other thing I would say is storytelling. You, you know, we are storytelling animals, and um, that's something I use a lot in in the blog you mentioned. Um, but we can use that I even in our writing. 
so you, you know we we could say for instance um uh here are you know here are the figures or here is the proposal or here is uh, um here is a plan um or you could say i've been thinking about our conversation uh, and uh, something struck me uh, about what what you really should be doing you, you know uh, and, uh, and i'm thinking that's off the top of my head and you know it's that you could tighten that up but it's you know you start to tell a story uh, and you you've got a human being in that story and you've got a human being connecting to the prospect you know and so that will start to engage them in a way that just giving them the facts won't you know or or it has a much higher chance of engaging them because we're storytelling animals we communicate in story all the time and we have an inner story we have an inner monologue you know when we're when we're walking around when we're you know when we're going about our daily lives we are looking at what's around us and we are telling ourselves a story about it and so if you tell the prospect a story then you, you're kind of like pressing pause on that particular playlist and you're you're saying hey listen to this one you know and then that then you know they will be, they'll be engaged and there's even um uh brain scanning evidence uh that shows that when people listen to stories uh the the areas of their brain that, that light up are the same areas as as are lighting up in the storyteller so so storytelling literally synchronizes brains and i think it's important to clarify you know what we mean by that as i said you know you're just saying i call them micro stories you know i've been looking at this i've been thinking and or i had an idea over the weekend or, or whatever you know it's not once upon a time it, it, it's yeah. it, you know you, you you're just I like micro stories i like micro stories i you know i i i, I want to kind of like this there's a lot of subtleties of what you're saying i i, I think I've, i i can tease out a few but i want to make sure people get this is that one of the big things you, you've highlighted so far is that we want to reduce the brain's consumption of energy or cognitive load, right? How much we make the brain think in order to make the information more, uh, I, I guess, have a higher receptivity. For example, simple language you've talked about already. Uh, you've mentioned using visuals, I'll say, because that reduces the amount of energy I need to comprehend. Then you also talked about storytelling, which is another form of saying, if I tell you a story, then, you know, again, the cognitive weight I'm putting on your brain is not that heavy. I wanted you to kind of stick a little bit with the, the micro story time because I really like this because I want to tie that with your tightening of the language. You know, when somebody's trying to tell a story, whether I'm trying to sell a product, sell an idea, sell a vision, you know, what are some things that we could do better? We've got to tighten up the language a little bit, but what are some of the things we can do within that storytelling that say, you know, this will really make it pop if you had to write it out? Oh, by the way, I should ask you that first, Rob. Should you write it out first and then speak it, or should you really learn to tell the story and then try to write it and maybe have this virtual cycle of trying to get better at telling stories? So two questions. First, what can I do to tell a better story, and would it help me to write it out first? So, so I mean, we're talking about the, the, a written story here. So, Correct. so, 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 um, but right, but but re, you know, doing the opposite, reading out loud what you've written, you know, can help. And I'll tell you why in a second. Um, but I think that um, what you've got to do with with that story and with that structure is you've got to orientate the the, the prospect. You've got to. Um, you've got to take them from where they were before and, you, and get them in the right headspace. 
Now, um, the big department stores used to have this thing. I don't know if they still do it. It's been a long time since I've been to one, but where they would have a like a hot air blower as you walk in through the door, if you walk off a cold street and there'll be this, you get this <laughs> whoosh of hot air. Um, and then probably you'd smell perfume. They have the perfume canter, you know. What they're trying to do there is they're trying to, I think they call it decompress. They're trying to decompress the customer. So they're trying to get them out of the headspace that they were in when they were out on the street and into right. shopping mode and kind of, you know, trying to get them to, to exhale. Uh, and um, when you are trying to communicate with a client or, or a prospective uh, customer, um, you need to do the same thing. And the mistake that people make a lot is they hit them with a problem. Um, and they right. go straight in mm-hmm. with, you know, here's the problem. Here's what I'm going to do about it. Um, and even though it might be true, you know, if they say, uh, I, mean, I mean, I've even had that now, you know, people send me cold emails and say, um, I've looked on your website and there is a problem <laughs> with it, you know. And it's like, by the way, does that, does that drive you nuts, Rob, when you're getting that, all these like spam emails? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Well, I've got a great way of dealing with them now. But yeah, it, it's it's like you know, who are you? So hopefully, this person knows you. This is why triangulating and building building your um, presence is important. Um, but you need to you need to dec- you need to get them to decompress and to stop thinking about what they were thinking about before and get them thinking about this. Um, so I always start, you know, I say start with the position, start with where they are now. Okay, so if you're thinking about a proposal, and this, this applies to a formal document as much as it a- applies, actually, you can apply it just to one email. Okay, and I think, think of the four P's, which is position, problem, possibilities, proposal. And the position is where they are now. So, you know, so you could say, you know, and you can weave story into this. You can say, you know, I've been looking at your success and, and um, you know, I can, that, I, you know, I read that piece in the um, in the Wall Street Journal that says, you know, you're, you're needing to focus on this now. And that's, you know, that's great. OK. And they're going to be nodding. You want to get them nodding first. OK. Uh, and then then. So that's position. That's where they are now. And then there's the problem. The problem is why they can't stay there. OK. So you then say, um you know, but I noticed that, you know, and then, you know, and you introduce a threat, <clears throat> excuse me, you introduce a threat. Um, and that's then starting to, to make them think, oh, hang on. So if you think about it, they've opened the file in their brain. You get them to open the file about this thing they're trying to achieve. And then you, and then you introduce a threat, which is actually why they might not be, be able to achieve it. And then... Um, you build on that. So when you've got the problem, it's okay. So, you know, give them some facts and figures and, you know, kind of start to start to lay it on, you know, and it's kind of, Oh, actually, yeah, I see what they mean. And by the end of that section, which could just be a couple of sentences in an email, or it could be a couple of pages in a, in a proposal, um, they should be saying, we've got to do something about this. And then of course that's perfect. You know, if you're selling it's that's the, that's where you want someone, you know, because then you, then they are perfectly primed to receive your, um, your, your suggested solution. Um, now the possibilities in a proposal, you know, there could be several of those and you could kind of tick them off with kind of pros and cons of each. Um, or you could go straight into your suggestion, which is the proposal. That's the fourth P. Um, 
And that's it, you're taking them through a process there, through a actually not just a logical thought process, but an emotional one, because we make decisions with emotions and we justify them with logic. And, and you know, it's it's no good coming up with an amazing business case if you're not engaging the emotions uh, as well. So there's four pieces of position, problem, possibilities, proposal. Wait a minute, say that again. So it's position, problem. Possibilities, pos- proposal. Possibility. Yeah. I would like to add one more P to that. I think it's missing a P. I'm going to throw it out there, okay? I'm going to throw it out there. Because, by the way, I Go love your it. framework. So, Go for so it. So there's the... So there's the positioning, which I, is basically here's where you're at, right? Then there's the here's the problem that you're probably facing now or will be facing in the market, right? And then that's when you introduce the product, right? Here's the solution, right? Yeah. But I also think before you get to proposal or maybe after proposal, uh, but I think it's after product, after product is there has to be some type of prediction, you know, and I just want to throw that out there as, a, as an idea because uh, I use it in my hero story. And the prediction is – Here's what happens after you implement our product or solution. And maybe you combine those two together. But the prediction is, here's where you're going to be if you do these things. Here's the proposal. What do you think, Rob? Can we, can we add that P in there? Absolutely. And in fact, the, the predictive ending is something that I often recommend. You know, if, right. if you are, because what you're doing is you're getting the, the reader mm. to envision oh, like this, this new future, this, this, it, it, and, and not only that, it, it, it starts a process or it continues the process. So it stops that kind of hard stop at right. the end. You know, people say, well, call to action. Oh, you know, buy it. You know, well, yeah, right. that's not what you, you know, you want something that's a little bit less like uh, obviously self-centered. But if you're saying, you know, so when you do this, you know, you should see this happening. Uh, and then, you know, if you really want to, to amp it up, contrast it with the problem right. that you mentioned earlier in the in the document I, I like that approach better actually i think you're i, I think you're spot on i love that because you're right because the proposal has some type of take it or leave it by it you know call to action <laughs> right where the where if you had the predictability piece at the end where, where you what we really want you to do is land here there's more of a caring aspect it seems to me. Yeah, yeah, it, ab- absolutely. You've got to, um, there's something called reactance in psychology, which is, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, if you tell someone to do something, then they'll, they'll, there's kind of an init- initial kind of resistance to doing that just because you've told right. them. <laughs> you know? right. So people don't sure. like to be told what to do. Um, That's exactly so- why I reacted. After, as soon as you said that, I go, he's right. Rob <laughs> Ashton is right. I said, because the, the sales reactants will kick in. I'm not doing that. Exactly. You can't tell me what to do. Let me think yeah. about it. Yeah. And yeah. then you kind of get that. Well, this makes no sense. Why Why are you not doing this? And you, know, and you think, why are my prospects not mm-hmm. buying this? Why did they not go with this decision? It makes no sense. It's because you told them to do it. it yeah. You know, it, it, it's it, you've got to be more subtle than that. And you've got to just, it's so easy to... Um, kind of d- just kind of destroy any credibility right. you have and any trust. Um, you know, if you are focused entirely on that um, on that sales target, right. and you're trying again, you go back to you know, the desperation kills the sale. Um, mm-hmm. That can come out in your writing very, very easily. Uh, and trust is we know trust is very fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an example of this actually, and it wasn't, it wasn't a, a writing example, but it was, it was somebody, it was a marketing agency and I was talking to them and I mentioned, 
um, my blog and, you know, signing up. Uh, and um, I said, oh, have you, have you seen it? Have you seen I've got this free course on there? And they said, uh, no, no, but I, 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 I will definitely check that out. Uh, now, that's what psychologists call a, a low warrant queue. And the reason that the name doesn't matter so much, but it's, it's a low value statement. Okay. Because that's something that's um, saying you'll do something is, is very easy. Okay. So if you say I've got, I, I, I put my customers first, um, you know, then that's very easy to say. And so when people are listening to that or when they read it, um, they will tend to kind of, they'll, they'll, they'll take notice of it, but they're kind of, they won't place much weight on that. But what that guy then did was nothing apart from chase me to, to try and close sure. the deal. He, cause I can see if he signed up for my course and he didn't, right, right, right. you know, so he didn't do, and, and not only that, it was, it wasn't going to cost him anything, you know? And so it's, so it's like, okay, no. so I gave, I said, sign up for, for, for this. It cost you nothing. And you didn't even do that. So bye, you, you know? And oh. so that, that's a high warrant queue. And it's the same as, you know, saying I'll get you a so, proposal so, by the way, tomorrow. I've never heard. I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I've never heard those phrases. So if I didn't hear it, most likely the folks listening or seeing it haven't heard the phrase either. Low warrant queue. Like yeah. I spell warrant in this case. W a r r a. As in a warrant for your arrest. You know, W a w r a. I've never heard this yeah. phrase. So can you define a phrase? Just define yeah, yeah. So, so it's um, and this is that's a good example of of well-established psychology principles that don't find their way into the business world um and you know that's what i've been doing for the last six years is there's so much stuff out there where you you read it and it's not it's often not in research papers it's just it's in undergraduate textbooks you know it's something that people have you know the psychologists will yeah. know about it but most people don't and in that particular case it's it's something called warranting theory, which is which just is all about you know how we how we build up trust, how we reduce uncertainty. Actually, how we reduce okay. uncertainty is so relevant to sales, and, big, and big time. You know, yeah. So it's like how do you reduce uncertainty um, about a supplier, or in your case, if you're writing, how do you reduce the, the decision maker's uncertainty? Um, and there's this warranting theory is, you know, says that we have this, this, this series of, um, or this kind of, um, that, that not all signals that we send are equal, not all signals of trust or not all information that we're giving is equal. So the things that are easy to fake or easy to say, you know, just easy to say, um, when we're listening to those things or when we're reading those, we kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, so they say they put the customer first. That's great. You know, that's good. That will be a low warrant cue because it's, it's easy to say, and anybody could say okay. it. Um, when it comes to something that's a bit more difficult to do, um, then they tend, you know, people place more. Or we as human beings, we all do this. We place mm. more um, store. We place more value on those things. So a good a good example would be um, saying to a prospect, "I will shoot you an email by the end of the day," and then not doing it, sending it tomorrow instead. Mm -hmm. you, you know, because. Straight away, you'll introduce a note of doubt, and that's a high warrant cue. That's something that, oh, right, yeah. So they said they would do it. That's easy, but they haven't done it. So, okay. So, and even if the prospect is really understanding and thinks, oh, okay, well, you know, we're all busy, the fact is, you've kind of broken a micro promise. You said you would do something, and you haven't, and it right. starts to starts to erode trust right. and. 
you know, at what could be a very, what usually is a very fragile part of the sales yeah. cycle. So, so yeah, these, these, the, the small things matter. So, yeah. So it's a, a high warrant queue basically reduces certainty. Did I get that a, right? a high warrant queue can increase certainty as you can actually, you can, you can flip it on its head. You can say, yeah. um, you, you know, high warrant, just think of something, you know, high warrant is something that's, that's, um, difficult to fake. Right. Low warrant is right. something that's easy to fake or easy to okay, do. Okay, easy, okay. You know. I got it now. I got, yeah. I got it now. Yeah. Yeah, got you. Because the, the easy stuff everybody can commit to. So that was the low warrant queue when the guy said, I'll sign up for your, yeah, I'll just sign up for your newsletter later. It's yeah. a low warrant queue. I got that. Yeah, and then he didn't do it. So that's that's the high warrant thing, you know. It, yeah. Um, it, it's, of course, the, the, one of the, the lessons from that is don't make promises that you can't, you're not absolutely certain you can't keep, even if they seem trivial. Because right. they will, they will all add up, and they will erode confidence. Yeah, you know, you reminded me when you said there. There's a lot of stuff like in like behavioral science, some of the stuff that people, you know, the folks in neuroscience are finding that businesses don't, you know, never makes it into the business sphere. Uh, Daniel Pinker, I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, he has a saying. I, I can't remember how it goes, but it's something to the effect that what's what science knows and business does are two different things. In other words, there's a gap between what the science knows and what businesses are actually doing. I, I wanted to get back to this because um, I, I think, you know, when when folks listen or watch a podcast like this, it's always, you know, there's a lot of nuggets, but sometimes it's hard to put into a uh, a framework to take away and actually execute on. But 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 I think you gave something and you gave me something. Hopefully, the listeners watch or something. I think is really interesting. When you talked about your four P's, maybe five now. That what I, what I what I love about that your your P system is that I look at let's say the positioning and then I can work on when I when I, by the way I'm layering this in with your writing skills right improving your writing skills because maybe if I I put these in four or five buckets the four or the five P's then within those four or five P's I can really focus in on what my writing skill level should be in other words for example if I'm positioning something you know I should really focus on maybe writing to be able to position that product better. Can you speak to that? We can kind of round, you know, kind of close this, you know, interview off with that. Like, how could I use that as like four or five buckets where I can improve my speaking or my writing on? That, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, 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 I guess you've got two bits, really. One is the structure and one is the content. Okay. So, so you know, if you're thinking position, um, problem, possibilities, proposal, and then predict at the end, which I, which I love. Um, that's the that's so that gives you your structure. That gives you that that can be a, a nice framework for you um, as you're writing. And then you've got um, how you implement that, how you execute it. Because just writing down those four P's isn't gonna you know isn't gonna cut it, is it? Obviously. Um, so then you've got the you you use that framework um, to. Uh, by writing sentences that are active, you got someone doing something. They are, they are, but you you keep it short and simple so they're they're readable. Um, you don't overload the reader's brain, um, and you make it very focused on that reader, on that decision maker. So you you need both components. Um, but it's you know the good news is that you don't. It's not about flowery language. It's about using their language. Um, which sends a signal, you know, you're just trying to position yourself as an ally, not as somebody who is trying to sell them something. You, you, you know, you, you're someone who, you know, this is, 
if you're just trying to sell them something they don't need, then I don't want to talk to you. You know, it's, it, it's, you know, you are trying to help them. And if you're genuinely trying to help them, then your job is to remove the barrier to that. And, and the way to do that is to use the psychology by just, you know, getting, getting this message into, into their head. Um, you, you know, using that, using that four piece framework uh, and, um, and readable language uh, uh, just briefly uh, you know I, I would say that something you have to remember is that reading and writing is not data transfer and this is where we trip up we think we're just trying to get data from one head to another um, reading is a miracle of adaptation you know you're seeing dots and squiggles on a screen and you're hearing a voice in your head so you need to make sure that the voice they hear is the right voice and the other thing is that when we read because it's so um, complex reading is 90% hallucination reading is is mainly prediction um, and then confirming or or not whether what you thought was there it is there or not so when they're reading your thing you know that time you think I wrote it why didn't they see it it's there in black and white it's because that's not how we read we read and see you know what we expect to see and then maybe we correct it and you asked me about reading, uh, reading out loud earlier on. And I would say that that's actually one good way to shortcut that is to read what you've written out loud. And that slows down your brain so that you actually see what's there and not what you expect to see. Right, right. That's such an important point, by the way. Uh, I remember reading a study, Rob, I don't, maybe you've seen it. The, it was a tapping exercise <laughs> where people would have to tap a tune, right? And the other person would have to predict whether the other person got the tune or not. Right, and I think their prediction was that they should get like fifty out of fifty. Fifty, you'll get it. And I think the actual prediction rate, accuracy rate, rather, was like three percent. Oh, what I heard in my head. Yeah, you're almost spot on there. Yeah, it's two and a half percent. Yeah, so yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It was that the. um, So this was Elizabeth Newton. Uh, It was um, back in the nineties. I, I love talking to another nerd. I love <laughs> I'm such a nerd on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was the so thing. Is, absolutely, it was. People thought, oh, you know, if I if I tap this tune out, you know, and it could be something like "Happy Birthday," you know, it's kind of, and you kind of think, mm-hmm. surely they'll get that. Surely they'll hear at this. And and to be clear, we're just kind of tapping out the rhythm, right? You know, right. Uh, and the actual the actual number was two and a half percent. What what one of the things I thought was particularly interesting about that is there was a statistically significant difference between met how good men were predicting uh would would how many people would guess and how how good uh women were um so so women I didn't, guessed read, that, I didn't read that part of the study yeah women guessed it would be it would be 45 percent would be able to get it and men guessed 55 percent. but you know I, it's still it's still a big error when it when it's actually only two and a half percent yes people can't uh, hear the voice in your head and they can't hear we, they can't hear all the things that we layer on top of our writing. Yeah, it's a great study. Yeah. Glad you that's, brought that up. That's funny. You, you reminded me of it. Is that we'll, we'll really make this a wild uh, uh, ending here. Is that I was listening to the guy from Shark Tank, which is I think your is Dragon's Den on your side of the pond, right? Yeah. Okay, Dragon's Den, right? Yeah. And so uh, Kevin O'Leary was talking about how this ties back to women and men making predictions. And he said he liked working with women best because when he looked at predictive accuracy of how fast a business would grow, in other words, hit their numbers, women were much more conservative and therefore much more accurate. And this is just another example of, or I guess, the male ego. (laughs) Just saying, that's where it's going to be, out there somewhere. That's how right I'm going to be. Yeah, I it's, it's, it's a, it's, I, I still, 
you know, it, that example just, just still, it, it, it's so powerful and so true. Uh, and um, and you can, it's something you know. I challenge listeners to try it themselves, you know, and say, "Hey, how about this? You know, can you can you guess what this tune is?" Uh, yeah, and and you'll up. think it's obvious, and and it's so not. You know, it's it's such it a isn't. it's so enlightening when you do that. I I use it a lot in when I do sales training. I'm working with managers, and I I talk about how they give people directions. And sometimes they're, as you earlier said about, you predict something while you're writing, you're predicting that they're going to get it. Same thing here. In many cases, managers kind of hear the tune in their head, but the employee is not hearing the same tune, which is why they're not on the same page. Any final thoughts on that? Oh, uh, absolutely. That, that, that colors everything. Uh, and emotions, the emotion they're experiencing will color everything. You, you know, it's, if they are upset, then... They won't be listening to you or they won't be reading what you've written. And this is why it's so such bad advice to to start with the bottom line. Usually, it, you know, it, it kind of there's some advice that went around the Web a few years ago and it was widely shared. And people, you know, and this advice said, start with the bottom line, which is what the military um, generally do. Um, you say, look, um, so. Uh, there's going to be no annual pay rise this year or, 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 you know, leave is canceled. That's the bottom line. You read that. That's like being punched in the face, you know, and you have been in a motive space and you won't re you won't take in whatever is, is in front of you. Um, but if we are upset about something, we look for, we look for cues, clues in our environment that we're right to be upset. So, you, you know, if you, if, if you've had a, uh, an argument with your spouse or if you you know you're stuck in traffic uh, and and let's say that you know in a misguided attempt to, to kind of kind of ring the changes and get some relief from that you check your email and you and the first you know, the first email you see you pro will probably upset you <laughs> it, you know it could be quite neutral it's because you know that's what we do so in that conversation um you know, that's what often why it goes so wrong is that, you know, people are in a different place and that right. their emotions are, they will layer their emotions over everything that they hear and, and read. So how do you do that, Rob? How do you like, we've all been in the situation where we want to write. So we're coming to you now for writing advice. So, you know, imagine, you know, there's Victor laying on the couch and this is what Victor's asking you as you're giving him advice at a therapy session. Uh, I'm writing an email, right, in response to an incident, or something I want people to really understand because apparently they're not getting it. You know, how do you know when you're being too soft versus too terse? I know it's a tough question, but, you know, what are some guidelines if I'm being not direct enough or maybe being too direct? Well, uh, I mean, you, you, can go back to your, you can go back to your four Ps or, or I'm going to give you another acronym, which is SCRAP, mm -hmm. which is a similar thing, which, is, mm -hmm. which is, stands for Situation complication, resolution, action, and politeness. So the situation is, you know, I've noticed this. Um, the complication is we shouldn't be doing X related to that, you know. Uh, um, uh, the resolution is this is what we should do instead. So from now on or from Monday or whatever, that's your action. This is what we're going to be do, doing. And then the politeness is you know, thanks, you know, this, um, th thanks for your help in, in making sure we, we all do that and keep ourselves safe or, or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, you're taking the heat out of it. 
if it's really emotive, then you need to be speaking to people. But often that's not practical when you've got a lot of people. Um, but yeah, scrap. That. Yeah, that is so good, Rob. Rob, that is good. That is good. I, I've never had, nobody's ever given me a framework for that. I live on frameworks, man. So that, that oh, that's works. a keeper. I, it works. It really works. I, that one. Yeah. I like the politeness piece at the end. I'm not crazy about the acronym SCRAP because it's kind of Well, I, I, I say to people, you make sure you got the situation in there, okay? If you're using SCRAP, right. make sure you got the S because otherwise it's not very good, <laughs> yeah. you know? So it's, uh, you know, it's a way of making sure you've got that one in there as well. <laughs> Rob, let, let these wonderful folks know where they can find out more information about you. Um, well, if they um, – the, I, I mentioned briefly the uh, the free – training course that I've created. Um, it's, I'm just trying to raise awareness of this stuff. Um, so it's completely free. Uh, it's an email sequence, but it has audio built in, so you can listen to it like a podcast. Um, and it's called Silent Influence, um, for reasons that should be obvious by now. Um, so if people go to robashton.com slash influence, uh, they can sign up there. Um, if they're interested and you know want to get some help from Emphasis, this this company that i recently stepped down from that's still alive and kicking as i said and doing great work so if they go to writing hyphen skills.com um then uh, they can find out all about that there too uh when they go to robash.com talk to me a little bit about the course silent influence what's in there what do i get out of it so it, it's um so it's what i'm doing there really is taking the uh, the research that i've been doing for the last 10 years and i'm still doing um and breaking it down into a way, well, I'm, what I'm trying to do is make it engaging and hopefully entertaining. So, uh, it, you know, it's it, I'm taking people through real world scenarios, telling stories and weaving in the research and, you know, what you, what, what is what people get wrong. So the kind of uncommon um, advice, the things people should know um, that enable, that, that especially, you know, when you're reading the things that drive decisions. So, uh, it starts off with a uh, just one email a day, just for five days, um, and then you know the secret is actually there is that there are bonus emails. So, so um, as I as I do more research, I create another lesson um, and another audio, and I send that out. So once you're on the list, you'll be you'll be sure to keep up to speed with all the research I'm doing. Um, but those those only go out every few weeks, so it's. Yeah, and it's not it's not a sales funnel. You know, it's, it's genuinely free. No, no, I got you. I got you know, it's that, that's, you know, people think when we sign up, we're so used to this, aren't we? We sign up for something, we think we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be sold, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the, in this particular case, I'm just trying to get people to take this seriously and to right. and to raise awareness. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so so that that's Back what to reading that's what and writing. I love it. Anyway, visit robashton.com, but really check out his blog. I'm, I'm a super recommend the, the blogs. And I, when you see how well written they are and footnoted, I mean, I, I, I literally, Rob, I was impressed. So thank you very much for being on the Sales Influence Podcast. And on that note, this is Victor Antonio. Always reminding you that selling ain't hard when you know how to write and you know how to listen and you know how to talk and all those good things and you know how. Check out the Sales Velocity Academy, but make sure. Go to robashton.com. Check that out. Read that. And as always... We'll see you next time. Big Tin Can is the world's leading sales learning and enablement platform that delivers the onboarding and training, preparation, coaching, customer engagement, and follow-up and insights that modern businesses need to win. 